Well, we are in the What Would Jesus Undo series, and today we're talking about how he would undo hollow worship. So firstly, we need to talk about what is worship? What is true worship, right? Well, it's a lot of things, but essentially, it's when we give back to the Lord what he's given us. So it's a heart posture. It's, it's a lifestyle. Johnny, the worship pastor, he spoke, I don't know, like a month or two ago now about the big picture topic of worship. And he said that while it, it looks like different things, it, it could be singing or serving or, or anything, what, what the defining characteristic of worship is, is that it is unto God. It is for the Lord. And it is always because of him and because of who he is. Now, hollow worship then is when we do those things, we do all the external things, you know, we, we sing or we serve or we, we do whatever, but our heart posture is not in line with those actions. And I do have some experience with that, believe it or not. Back in my, my uni days, I didn't quite know Jesus yet, but it was like, that bit before you become a Christian where you know the Lord is on your case, you know what I mean? Some of you, he's, he's literally on your case today. And as soon as I said that, you got a little nervous, right? So I was in that season. And so I, I was like trying to be a good person. And I was like, oh, I should probably sort my life out. And like, okay, I guess I should go to church. Okay, I'm gonna go to church. So what I would do is I would go to church on a Friday night because I didn't want to go on a Sunday morning because I was hungover. So I was like, okay, not doing that. <laughs> not ready for that. I'm going to go on a Friday night. And so I would literally go to church on a Friday night on my way to the bars. Literally. <laughs> because my church just so happened to be across the street from my favorite bar. <laughs> it was like so nice of Jesus, right? It was so good. So I would go on a Friday night. And I would sing the songs, and I'd take communion, and, you know, when they'd pray, I'd, you know, I'd bow my head, yes, okay, pray. And when the sermon was happening, I'd put my nice listening face on, yes, yes, yes. But internally, my thought process was nowhere near that. Emma knows. So internally, what I was thinking that whole time was, oh, I wonder who I'm going to see out tonight. Maybe Joe's going to be there. Oh, that's fun. And oh, man, did, did I pack that top I wanted to change into? Is that in my bag? Yes, I think it is. And, and oh, is it, is it a beer night? Is it, am I going to do shots tonight? Like, oh, what's the vibe, you know? So that is literally, that's literally what was going on in my head. But externally, my butt was in that seat. I was singing the songs. My head was bowed, my listening face on. But my heart posture was not in line with my actions. I was so far from the Lord. I was a hollow worshiper. I wasn't actually offering him anything. Now, I want to say this before we get 
too far into this hollow worship idea because hollow worship is not praising Jesus when you don't feel like it. That's not what it is. If, you know, the band isn't singing your favorite songs and you're still worshiping, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about here, okay? Or if you are choosing to worship Jesus and you're in a really hard season, like if you're in maybe grief or suffering or, or you know, just, just, just a difficult place where maybe everything in the world is telling you that he's not good or that he's forgotten you, and you are still choosing to worship and glorify Jesus, that is not hollow worship. That is a holy and sacred thing that you are doing. And I promise you that it pleases the Lord more than than you can imagine. Okay, so that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about when we're doing this stuff and we're ticking those Christian boxes, but our heart posture is not unto him. It's not for him, and it's not because of him. Okay? It's, it's what I was doing at uni. That's what I'm talking about, right? Because what I was doing at uni was not costly. I wasn't willing to give the Lord my everything. I wasn't even willing to give him my Sunday mornings, right? There's a cost to worship. And hollow worship doesn't give it to Jesus. Now, this idea of costly worship, of of the sacrifice of praise, we see it all throughout Scripture. In fact, the very first time we see the word worship in the Bible, that, that we translate as worship into English, is Genesis 22, when Abraham is walking up a mountain to sacrifice his son. The word there is worship. It, it was costly. And we see it in the Gospels when Mary pours out that perfume at the feet of Jesus. We know it was at least a year's worth of wages. And she just pours it all out at the feet of the Lord. It was costly, right? We even see this going back all the way in Genesis to, to the very first family, so Adam and Eve, they have, they have some sons, and their first sons are Cain and Abel. Now, you might remember this story. Cain ends up murdering his brother Abel. It's a horrific story, actually. But when we read it, we actually see that the issue was worship. So let's read it. It'll come up on the screens for you as well. But it's Genesis 4. And it says, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So we know that God likes and accepts Abel's offering. And he doesn't like or accept Cain's offering. Now, there's no specific direct explanation for why that is. 
there's several potential reasons. But regardless of the exact and specific why, we do see in this passage that the Lord has a preference in how we worship. See, Cain's offering, we read that he gave an offering of the first fruit. Other translations clarify this and say some of the fruit of his field. So Cain didn't give the Lord everything. He kept some for himself. And we see in those later verses, there was some definite heart issues happening in Cain, right? The Lord points out to him that, hey, sin is crouching at your door. You've got some anger and some jealousy that we need to sort out. So we know Cain's heart posture is not in line with the external worship that he's doing, with the offering that he's making to God. Now, Abel, on the other hand, he brings his firstborn and the fat portions. Now, the fat portion was the best pieces of the sheep. I don't know that from personal experience, but that is historically what it was. So, the, so Abel brings the best to God. He also brings his firstborn, and that's really significant for a shepherd because a shepherd doesn't know how many sheep he's going to get. He doesn't know how many sheep are going to be born or how many are going to survive. And so the firstborn is really significant. It's able showing the Lord, I'm willing to give you my everything. And we get even more clarification on this in Hebrews 11, which says that it was by faith Abel made this offering. So there's something in Abel's heart posture that is one of faith, is one of trusting the Lord. One of saying, I see who you are and you're worthy of my everything. I trust you with my everything. I trust you with my best. One of those is a costly, true heart of worship. One of them is a hollow worship. And it's pretty clear which one the Lord prefers. See, true worship is always unto him. It's focused on him, not on ourselves. And if we're honest, and I'm including myself in this, sometimes we come to worship and the focus is us. It's focused on what God can give me. I'm going to do this so that he does this. We even say things like, oh, worship was really good this morning. What does that mean? Well, it means that you encountered God, that you heard his voice or you felt his presence or maybe just that the band was really good that day. And none of those things are bad. Those are all really good things. But that is the blessing of worship, not the point of it. And we sometimes get that mixed up. The point of worship is Jesus. The point is giving him everything he is worthy of and everything he is due, which is all of us. It's our full selves and our full lives. That's the point of worship. Now, we do that, and him, in his wonderfulness, he shows up. 
And he's like, oh man, I love you too. And it's just so nice to be with you. Let me just, let me just come and dwell with you. Oh, you need my peace? Here's my peace. Oh, you need my wisdom? Here's my wisdom, right? But that is his blessing. That's not the point. But as we, we step into this, we step into this true worship when we recognize that, hey, loving Jesus might cost me, but he's worthy of it. As we do that, this incredible exchange happens where we fall more in love with him and we start carrying more of his heart and we start understanding his ways and loving his ways and we start to see how he wants to build his kingdom here, his kingdom of justice and righteousness. Now, one of my favorite prophets is Amos, and he's just a little minor prophet. You, you honestly maybe have never even heard him or read his book. He just has a, a little thing in, uh, in the Old Testament, but he's my absolute favorite because he pulls no punches, and I like that. Uh, but in his day, there was this growing disparity of wealth. So the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer, which sounds a little familiar. But he has this righteous anger in him about it because the religious, the, the faithful, the, the, the believers weren't doing anything about it. They weren't helping the, the lower classes. And, and in fact, some of them were actually profiting off of this, this unjust system. And so he says to God's people this in, in Amos 5, and it's actually, he's quoting the Lord. So imagine the Lord speaking this to his people. So God says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. kind of intense and it kind of sounds like God doesn't really like church but we know that's not it because all throughout the scriptures he repeatedly says how much he loves the assembly of his people so it's not that and all these you know specific sacrifices and offerings like we also see throughout the Bible him accepting these things. And I mean, we even see like this fattened animal bit. That's literally what Abel gave him. So, so it's not that. It's that these people are doing these things, but without the right heart. They're ticking their Christian boxes, right? They're, they're, they're ticking the religious boxes, they're going to the things, they're doing the right things, they're singing the songs, but their heart is not in line with those actions. 
And so the Lord recognizes that. And he says, I hate that. I hate your hollow worship. I don't want that. I want a worship that's full of righteousness and justice. That's what he ties worship to in this passage. Righteousness and justice. And the Psalms actually tell us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of the Lord's throne. So they're pretty important to him. Now, righteousness is right standing with God and with other people. And justice is making things right. It's the Hebrew word mishpat. It's a restorative justice. So there's actually an element of action in this justice. And so that means that when we come to worship God, whether in singing or serving or whatever it looks like, that we come as his people of righteousness and justice. We come and we're in right standing with him and with everyone else. We come listening because he might want to tell us how to make things right. He might want to tell us how to to bring restoration, how to bring justice to this world or to a specific individual or situation. So that means that that when we come to him, when we come in, in worship, it You know, if we need to confess a sin, we confess a sin. If we need to make things right with someone, we make things right with them. You know, if you... If you went out last night and got super drunk and slept with your boyfriend or girlfriend or someone who wasn't your spouse, don't come in here today and act like everything's okay. Confess sin Let him deal with your heart. It means if he's he's asking you to tithe, to give 10% to his church, or, or to give generously to some cause, and you just let the baskets pass you by or you ignore that nudge, don't lift your hands up. You know, if we, if we stay silent when, when we hear a, a, a racist or a sexist or some kind of unjust comment, and we stay silent, we cannot then use that same mouth to tell Jesus, you can have my whole life. You have my whole heart. Because he doesn't. He doesn't then. He's worth so much more than that. And he has so much more for us. And I think sometimes, and listen, I'm I'm not trying to like guilt or shame anyone, okay? But I feel really strongly that there is a Holy Spirit conviction that needs to happen today for some of us. Because some of us have been living these compromised lives And we've been living these comfortable and complacent lives. And Jesus is over it. He's over the half-truths. He's over the hollow worship. He wants all of you. And that's what he deserves. And I think sometimes we only offer him this this little bit. We say, okay, you you can have this offering. 
I'm going to keep this for myself, you know, just like Cain did. Like, but you can have this. We do that because we've forgotten who he is. And we've forgotten how good his message is. And so we do these things where we're like, okay, I love Jesus, but I'm going to hold on to this one little sin, just this one, right? Or it's okay because I tithe, so it's fine that actually I'm involved in like some really shady business deals. Or, you know, I show up every Sunday. Maybe I even serve every Sunday, So it's okay that, like, I have this porn addiction that I'm just not going to deal with. Or that actually I have this super cynical and unforgiving spirit with everyone I encounter. That's fine. Jesus will be fine with that. No, he's not fine with it. He's not. He's, He's worth so much more than it. You know, this is, this is the God who died for you. The God who gave up everything just to be with you for all eternity. This, this is the God who, who heals every wound, who breaks every chain, who forgives every sin. Like, what is that? <sighs> you know, this... Oh man, this is, this is our Jesus who was cursed so that we could be blessed. And he was rejected so that we could be accepted, so that we could belong. And he was broken so that we could be healed. And he was shamed beyond anything we could imagine so that we could share in his glory. That's who our Jesus is. And when we get this, when we have a fresh revelation of this, or maybe even a first revelation of it, but when we do, our only response is worship. Our only response is, yes, Jesus, no matter the cost, yes, Jesus. So, okay, you're telling me to go here or do this? Yes, Jesus. You want me to to give this up or stop that? Yep, yes, Jesus. You want me to use my, my voice or my skills or my money or my time, whatever? Yes, Jesus. When he says, hey, I know things are hard right now. And you can't see how it's ever going to get better. But will you trust me? Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And when we do that, when we give him that yes, that wholehearted yes, when we give him the true worship, worship that is maybe costly, but worship that is fully for him and it is unto him and it is because of him and him alone. When we do that, justice is gonna roll down like waters and righteousness is gonna flow like an ever-flowing stream. And it's gonna change us. It's gonna change our communities. It's gonna change this town. 
and it's going to change the nations. Because he's a God of righteousness and justice. And this world needs that. They need to know how worthy he is. And it can start with his people. It's supposed to start with his people. 